0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 28th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. What caused the Great Enrichment, the hockey stick of prosperity, the dramatic and sustained growth in human well-being since around 1800? Land, labor, and to a lesser extent, capital have always been with us, and so many of the theories to explain the Great Enrichment have some problems. Cater's Deirdre McCloskey argues that liberty is the secret sauce, and if we value the wealth we enjoy today, coercion in society should be viewed as a great threat. There continue to be many theories about what is known as the great enrichment. Yeah. And um, a lot of those theories are unsatisfying. Yeah. Would you say that even yours is a little bit unsatisfying?
1: Well... You know, it's my baby, so I love it. But the fundamental scientific problem is that the great enrichment since around 1800, or if you want to pick a more amusing symbolic uh, date, 1776, has been so great. It's, (laughs) It's a factor of 30 in increasing income per head. In real terms, this isn't about money or inflation or prices since then, that is to say, to do fourth grade arithmetic, three thousand percent, three thousand percent, and the trouble is that the other explanations, aside from mine, my ideational one or something like that, um, haven't got the oomph to make three thousand percent. If you're talking about investment, which is You, you might say, is the conservative view of
0: that is to say, the great enrichment was caused by people saving, away, and and then using that money in capital goods to produce more stuff.
1: Exactly, and that's the sort of scheme, the sort of politics there is. Virtuous rich people did that, (laughs) so we're to congratulate the high hats for saving so much and making the modern world. And it, it just doesn't compute. Um, the The problem with investment is that it has sharply diminishing returns, as is common sense. If you had five automobiles, the fifth automobile would not be any use to you. You could use it an ornament in your front yard, but that's about it. And then on the left, from the progressive side, the claim is that this great enrichment, is caused by exploitation. One group in the society stealing from another, They're those same hi-hats, stealing. And then, by the way, the, the left has the same capital accumulation account of how we got rich after the stealing has happened. You know, stealing from the colonies, stealing from black people, stealing from the working class, steal, steal, steal. And that doesn't work either, as, as you can kind of see from, again, the numbers. You know, the most you can steal is 100%. <laughs> Where does that get you <laughs> when you need to explain 3,000%?
0: And with, at least with respect to the institution of slavery, the, the theft was as much as could be stolen.
1: That's right. And in fact, it was stolen by violent people within Africa. It, it it turns out that the economics is extremely clear here that it's not the subsequent users of slaves who had to pay what the slaves were worth economically but it's the original acts of violence back in africa not to say that the acts of violence weren't encouraged by the existence of the west african slave trade but you know there was a east african slave trade which is longer than the west african at about the same magnitude into the slave markets of the Near East. And that didn't cause a great enrichment. So what's this claim that that stealing from people is so profitable? And as far as colonialism is concerned, uh, um, imperialism, the last stage of capitalism, as my youthful hero um, Lenin expressed it, Stealing from poor people is not a good business plan. Uh, If you want to steal, if you want to invade, you know, steal from someone, steal from France. (laughs) Don't steal from, I don't know, Uganda. So the other explanations are just feeble. They're, They're quantitatively feeble. My explanation is that there was a great change, a liberal change in the attitude of people towards innovation. This is something that Ben Franklin complained about. He said that people, you know, as you know, Ben was a great innovator. He said that uh, people don't want to hear about innovations. It irritates them. And indeed, until the 19th century in English, the very word innovation was a bad word. Oh, no, let's not innovate. That'll that'll disturb the social balance. And, and it was associated with um, theological changes.
0: So Stephen Davies, uh, who, who I think you know pretty well. Yes, uh, my friend. He wrote a book called The Wealth Explosion, The Nature yep. and Origins of Modernity, which yep. was sort of a, a catalog of moments in yep. human history yep. when... A lot of ingredients for a great enrichment came together. Yep, but they didn't really happen. Yep. Um, he may he pays he he knows quite a bit about the Song Dynasty. Sure, and that looked like at least historically uh, in China to be a moment when that great enrichment could easily have occurred. But
1: the, the Song Dynasty was about a thousand years ago.
0: I, I guess with respect to that, I. Th- think uh, in a previous conversation you and I had, you said that that moment in time perhaps cut against your theory.
1: Well, it could. If, if, if I knew as much as, uh, as much as Steve does about the Song Dynasty, I might be able to be more precise about it. What, what I do know is that it was a great age in China of invention and of commerce. Um, and then it was ended by the Mongol invasion. Which then again, you know, it's, it's, China's the great counterexample to my argument or anyone else's argument because in, in, in many ways it should have happened in China. For example, so, some of my colleagues in liberalism, which is not on the standard left-right spectrum, say that it's property rights that are the core. That's what explains the great enrichment. And the trouble is that China had excellent property rights in the Song Dynasty and in many other dynasties. And then people say, well, it's peace. Well, China had very long periods of peace internally and externally. So China is a problem, but it's not a deep problem, I think, because my claim is that liberalism All people are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That idea, which by the time Tom Jefferson, the slave owner, uh, wrote it, was a cliche among advanced liberal thinkers in Northwestern Europe – Um,
0: It was self-evident.
1: It was self-evident to them, but to no one else. The the hierarchy of agricultural societies is very old and very powerful. And in some sad ways, we seem to be reinventing it with the extension of the state power. But still, uh, that was the claim that 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 was – and it was new and it was not true in China, I think and i need to I need to learn more about China. I need to speak to my friends in Chinese history more about this. The only problem is that they often come from a, to it from a sort of from uh, from the left uh, and uh, and so they're leveled to read the history in a way that's not um, scientifically uh, uh it's not dishonest or anything, but it's not. It's not quite scientifically to the point.
0: So your theory, uh, broadly speaking, you know, if we're if it's turtles all the way down, (laughs) the bottom turtle. Yeah. If I understand you correctly, is liberty.
1: Yes, that's right. And it's in a particular meaning. It's liberty or equality since classical liberalism in say, in Adam Smith or John Stuart Mill or Mary Wollstonecraft is fiercely egalitarian, it's equality of permission, not equality of outcome or equality of opportunity. And it's, it's weird by the standards of agricultural society, because since the invention of agriculture, um, the man with the sword on the horse has been the landlord, or the king, or the tyrant, and has suppressed innovation usually, uh, as indeed the present state does, um, in aid of uh, K Street interests. So uh, it, it's, it's liberty that le- leads to an ideology which I have called Innovism which I regard as a much better, scientifically speaking, a much better word for what we usually call capitalism. Because when you call it capitalism, your attention is drawn to capital accumulation. And as fun as that is for economists who think they understand capital accumulation, it's not historically sensible. There was massive capital accumulation in the Roman Empire, in China, in all its eras, in South. I mean, come on, the, the, capital accumulation is something that peasants do all the time, on massive uh, uh, quantities. So it can't. That can't be the source.
0: So if we add up all of the things that contribute to growth, uh, you know, e- economic growth and in- innovation and new things and. Uh, in, in in general, just the wealth that we enjoy today, um, land, labor, capital, it it's always been there in a sense. That's right. And the Z, or whatever whatever right. uh, letter you want to assign to the rest of it yeah. is growing larger.
1: It's the it's, it, it,
0: the, they, secret and, it's and, the secret sauce. It's the
1: secret sauce. It's the spring in the mechanical watch.
0: And economists, uh, generally. Have given up? They are on trying tra- to explain Z?
1: Well, not quite. They keep trying to lay it down on the Procrustean bed of investment because, as I said, we economists think we understand investment and they have, as it were, a static dynamics. <laughs> that is, it's just savings, dear. Don't worry. Raise the savings rate and all will be well. And that's not right. It, it, because saving is only productive when you've got a new idea. I mean, obviously for for just maintaining the roof on your house, that's not an innovation, and that's very important, and that that's very desirable. But every society in the world has done that since the beginning. I mean, I, I suppose we cleaned the 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 poop out of the caves just as we <laughs> maintain the roof of our house. Uh, so it, it's it's ideas, it's novelties, it's new ideas that increase income. If we did today exactly what we did yesterday, we'd have the same income. But the human mind, the human human creativity, what in Austrian economics is called discovery, is is the secret sauce, and that's released by the way, not by the enlightenment, as my dear friend Joe Mce argues, or by science, which he also likes a lot, um, but by this political social conviction of liberty,
0: one other thing that i that you rely on or that you stress when you talk about this is not just the liberty to to innovate and not just the liberty that allows your innovation to earn you a profit, but it's also the respect that the people in your community might have for you for engaging in that kind of enterprise.
1: Crucially, as my friend Don Boudreau at George Mason pointed out to me, the lack of of respect for entrepreneurs, for people in business and so forth, and for inventors, and, and even the lack of respect for migrants because the small innovation of moving to a new job that we individuals do all the time, we, we modest individuals, is not you know, the invention of the electric light. but in the mass, it's terribly important and is a matter of, of liberty. If if people disapprove of all that um, uh, and say, oh, you're a bad person if you're in business or you're a bad person if you're a migrant or you're a bad person if you invest where you can get the best return instead of investing at home uh, or in, in yeah. Um, if if that doesn't drop away, as Don says, it's a tax on innovation, on change, on, on, on good change. Now there are bad changes. You invent mustard gas if you're a if you're a German chemist. Um, but, but mostly if we let people have liberty of permission, equality of permission, you get this ast- for this one time, in this one place starting in Northwestern Europe, you get this astounding release of human creativity, which in a small way has happened before. Fifth century Athens, Quattrocento Florence, and so forth, had little versions of this. Jack Goldstone calls them efflorescences. But as Jack points out, Only one of them, the last one, resulted in this enormous, and as far as we can say, permanent raising of human welfare.
0: What is the lesson for current policymakers and, frankly, the rest of us? And if if that's the case, what's the the big takeaway? How how do we comport ourselves if we value this wealth explosion?
1: The big takeaway is not to keep raising the sphere of coercion in the society. Um, uh, <laughs> the, what the liberals and the new liberals, Voltaire and Locke and Smiths and so forth, uh, Tom Paine, were arguing against in the eighteenth century was the coercive powers of the aristocracy. Um, and now, under the um, under the banner of socialism, uh, mild or uh, extreme, however you want to go, we want the government to get bigger and bigger and the sphere of coercion to get larger and larger. Now, liberty keeps getting out of its cages uh, you know in the in the computer industry for a long time the the government couldn't add uh, chains as quickly as it was innovating. Um, And this is often the case. There are ways of getting around the chains by going abroad. Uh, The globalization of the last uh, 40 years has freed people to innovate more than the local regulations, you would expect would allow them to because if if they add more regulations in uh, 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 one port, one port like uh, Gothenburg in Sweden, then Rotterdam can can prosper. So uh, Hong Kong being the, the extreme example of this. So the the bottom line is to keep advocating for human liberty.
0: Deirdre McCloskey is a distinguished scholar and the Isaiah Berlin Chair in Liberal Thought at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.